are taking a break from our series on Genesis as we uh, walk through Lent together. And so we didn't communicate that ahead of time. Sorry, uh, we do apologize. And by we, I mean me. And so uh, truly, should have done that, didn't do that. So uh, that's on me. But uh, we are journeying through Lent. We started on Ash Wednesday. If you weren't there, no biggie. We'll catch you up. We heard two things on Wednesday. Number one, that we are being called to return to the Lord with our whole heart. And as we do that, we will be faced with, tempta- with temptation, and it will be a difficult journey. And Lent, um, every time I preach this sermon, and it is a pretty repeated sermon, every year, this first week of Lent, I feel like I'm contending for you to do something that is totally counterintuitive. And that is to walk into a desolate place, a place where you are laying down creature comforts, where you are saying no to certain things that you might find some indulgence in. And, and, and this year especially, I think there's a little bit um, more uh, of, of a difficulty kind of getting into that space. And I think the reason for that is because the last couple of years um, have been a time of loss. I mean, the last couple of years during Corona time truly has been a time of loss. It's been a time of pain. It's been a time where we haven't been able to move around a whole lot. And so now the world is literally exploding, or at least uh, Europe is, or at least has the potential to, and now you start seeing the world going literally to hell in a handbasket, and as you do, you might start to think, man, I'm just going to start indulging a bit. But I want to just remind you that that is actually a warning, a posture that Jesus warns against, that as the world goes to hell, as things start to fall apart, we will be tempted to kind of pick up the phrase of, well, let's just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we'll die. But that is not the way of the follower of Jesus. Instead, as the world gets crazier and crazier, we as Christians are called to follow closer and closer. And if we're going to follow, if we're going to find Jesus out in that desolate place, it's going to mean we sacrifice. It's going to mean that we we deny ourselves of simple pleasures, and Lent is that beautiful season where we do return to the Lord with our whole heart. It is this great reminder that repentance is still a gift from God because we don't do it to get forgiveness. We do it out of a heart, out of a, out of a status of being forgiven. We didn't confess this morning because we need forgiveness. We confess this morning because we need to realize we are forgiven and a forgiven people don't sin anymore. It's what the Bible says in a habitual way. So as we continue on in this journey of Lent, I know that you're tired. I'm tired. Um, right before Ash Wednesday, Jason Bollinger, who helped lead worship, looked at me and he goes, how you doing, brother? I go, I'm trying to get my heart to catch up with the seasons today. Season's not in Ash Wednesday today. My heart is not in Ash Wednesday today, but I'm going to try and get my heart. That's how I'm at, man. That's where I'm at. And I'll be really candid with you. Like, coming up to today, I'm still trying to get my heart to catch up to Lynn. And I think the difficulty there is because of the pain and loss that we've experienced in the last couple of years. But let me just also put a spotlight on one thing. Your habits, since in these last couple of years, probably have been, number one, very exhausting. Anything that you've like found to be difficult has probably felt impossible at times. What was once just really hard just felt like, I just can't do it. And I just want to acknowledge that again as we enter into this season. I'm not calling us to fast from social media which we are calling for, not doing that to make our lives miserable. I'm doing that because there's a gift on the other end of it. 
That as we return to the Lord, as we repent our sins, uh, of our sins, and we ultimately recalibrate our souls, we're preparing for Easter. So I've said this before, I'll say it again. What kind of Easter do you want? Because this ne- these next however many days, it's less than 40 now, will help prepare your soul for resurrection in ways that you, 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 you can't even count, you can't even predict. But I will say this as we enter into this. I know this journey into this desolate place. I know this journey into the wilderness is going to be worth it. I can't guarantee it'll be worth it, but I'm going to bet it'll be worth it for you. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, how do I know it's going to be worth it? Because I know what you're going to find. If If you'll journey with us through Lent, I know what you'll find. You will find a smiling, present God who just longs to be with. So the invitation is to follow Jesus into the desert, into the wilderness, into the desert place. And I'm asking, will you go with me? As we follow him, as the leaders of the church follow him, will you come with us, denying yourselves of many things, following him to find him? So how are we going to know it's going to be worth it? Well, the first thing I'm going to tell you, again, I told you this earlier, it's not going to be the last time I use the word mystery. Here's the next time I'll use the word mystery. Here's what to expect on this journey. You're going to expect in the wilderness, in that desolate place, you are going to find God as mystery. In the wilderness, there is mystery. Following Jesus into the wilderness is paradoxical. Um, In Young Life or in high school, I was a part of Young Life. I was not a believer yet. Young Life's a great ministry for those that are not believers. And so I was not a believer. went to Wilderness Ranch. My, in the summer, in between my junior year and senior year, and we, we hiked through the Colorado wilderness for like 10 days, and there was like, I don't know, 10 or 12 of us, and it was awesome. Um, and I would say it was awesome because, man, we sensed God's presence there, but when we hiked on that, on that trail for 10 days, and we were doing like 15, 20 miles a day, or at least it felt like it as a high school junior, senior, it felt like we were doing a lot, probably we were only doing like five miles uh, but nonetheless, as we journey through that, I realize, and now I'm looking back, like, why do I want to take my family on that kind of an experience? Why, why, why do I want to bring my family into the wilderness? Why have I Googled and found websites that they, they will take your family into the Colorado wilderness and you will just lose yourself? You probably have to leave, leave your phone behind. It'll be great. Why do I want that? Why is there a calling, a beckoning out in, in me for that? Because I know the value of that. I did, we denied creature comforts. There was no bathroom. There was what we knew, um, what we, it was a new uh, word that we realized when we were there. It's called the biff. If you don't know what a biff is, it's bathroom in forest floor. And you create a communal biff at every campsite. And it's as glorious as you might think it is. And you have to pack everything out of the wilderness. And when I say everything, I mean everything. You can't leave stuff behind. And so there's just some real unglorious realities to that wilderness experience, and yet there's a longing. What is going on in that longing? <clears throat> well, I have to bring my phone up because my iPad keeps trying to connect to my phone. I do apologize for that. I usually don't have that up here. But there is a longing in me to return to that place because I know as well as you do that God's presence can be found where there are less and less comfort. Here's something that I want to reiterate. I've said before in years past that truly the desert is a place where God does amazing work in his people. If you look at through all the scriptures, you see Moses in the desert for 40 years as a shepherd. 
You see Israel in the desert for 40 years as they look to the promised land. You see David in the desert or on the run for about 20 years before he ascends to the throne. You see Paul in the New Testament for three years as he's figuring out his theology before he enters into ministry. You now see Jesus in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. And it's in that time that God is doing a unique work of removing us from a lot of noise and a lot of chaos and preparing us for what's ahead and purging us from sin. And that's really the wilderness experience with the Lord. He is removing us, purging us, and preparing us. And you can see it over and over and over again. David being, being prepared for the throne. Moses being purged from the sin of murder in the desert and preparing him to shepherd a people that will then be disobedient, removed from the promised land, purged of their sin, and prepared for the promised land again. You see it over and Paul, purged from the sin of murder and persecuting the church and prepared for ministry again. And so if that's what's before us, if preparation and the purgation of sin is before us, I wonder what's holding us back. Jesus did this for 40 days, but he did this on a regular basis. If you just looked at the headings of Luke chapter 4 that we just read, what you would find he begins his ministry in Luke chapter 4. He's rejected at Nazareth when he gets up, unrolls the, the scroll of Isaiah and says, I am the anointed one. They reject him. They push him out for reasons that are said there. Um, he then leaves there. He heals a man that has a demon. Okay, This is Jesus coming out of the desert. He's proclaiming who he is. He's, 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 he's uh, healing those that are, have demons. He goes in and he heals many right before verse 38 which includes Peter's mother-in-law. It also includes another man that has a demon. And then he preaches in the synagogues. Like he's preaching with power and authority, they say. He goes on to call his first disciples. He then cleanses a leper. Until you find these words, you can imagine the ministry that's growing for Jesus. The popularity, the people that are coming after him and wanting him to visit their town, to heal their mother-in-law, to, oh, my buddy's got leprosy. Can you heal him too? My friend's paralyzed. Can we put him down through the roof? And all of a sudden, the crowd and the reputation is growing. And what is Jesus' reaction when his ministry is just, like, killing it? Verse 15 of Luke 5. But now even more, the report about him went abroad. You see the report going out. Great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This is a normal practice to go into a desolate place. And I'm asking you to make it normative in your life because we long for people to praise us at our best. Do we not? We long for people to praise us at our best. But in the desert, the mystery of the desert is that God sees you at your worst and whispers the truth to you that he loves you, that he cares for you, and that he's for you. It's in the wilderness. It's in the desolate places that he removes us from other loves to rekindle our love for him. That voice can be found just as it was in Hosea 2.14 when God says that when he's alluring the nation of Israel out into the desert, when they've, when they've committed heinous sins against him, they've committed idolatry against him, they've brought Baals into the temple, meaning like they just, they've confused the holy God with the 
with the unholy God. And they just, they just brought in idol worship with worship of the true God. And in that place, God responds and he says, Man, I, therefore, behold, I will allure her, Hosea 2.14 says. I'm going to woo her. I'm going to speak tenderly to her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly. It is in the wilderness, friends, that God will speak his most tender mercies to you. When you are desperate, when you are scared, when it's, it's spiritually dark, when there are difficulties that you can't imagine getting out of, it is in those places where God does his greatest work. But if we deny that place, if we just get more busy, if we just deny this call to fast some social media, and you never really realize that those voices have way too much of an impact in your life. You'll constantly be running that race. You'll never be assured. And that, that unsteady foundation will always be there. So what is it? If this is the voice, if it's a tender voice, what is keeping us from going out into the wilderness? If this is the place that God resets his people, prepares them for their greatest uh, accomplishments and call and meets them where they are. Why do we drag our feet? I think it really comes down to one thing. We don't like dependence. We don't like dependence, which is why going into this second point, I think it's important for us to understand that God strengthens us when we are weak. We don't like dependence because we like to depend on our own strength. This is, we've just been in Genesis, this is what you see in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. That God creates these beautiful beings, male and female, to be free to eat of any tree of the garden, but not that one. And the enemy comes in and says, if you will just be autonomous. The enemy does sound like that sometimes, just constant, right? Amen, amen. So like... the. So the, truly, like the enemy comes in and whispers to us, don't worry about how God defines life and death. Instead, worry, all I want you to think about is not life and death, but I want you to, not God's definition, but to be autonomous. And to not worry about a, a life dependent upon him. Instead, just depend on yourself. This is the great lie of the enemy. It's why Jesus comes in in John 15 and says, you can't do anything if you don't abide in me. But God strengthens us when we're weak. If you looked at the first couple of verses back in Luke chapter 4, right? Look at this paradox. Look at this mystery. Look at this strength found in weakness. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, from the Jordan, returned from the Jordan, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. He was full of the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. And he was yet tempted by the the devil. It's both and in the scriptures in Jesus's life. It will likely, hopefully, be both and for us in our life. And so when temptation befalls you, I would ask you, what is your reaction? Maybe a first reaction when temptation is right at your door, um, you start to think like, where is God in this place? Or why am I not strong enough to have, 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 have fought this off? When temptation is right there, perhaps you've even gone astray and just, it's no longer temptation, it's just flat out sin. 
Maybe your first reaction is just kind of like, man, where are you, Lord? Why can't you, why can't you just do something in me that's more powerful than what my own willpower can achieve here? Just say, like, you are not alone in that thought process. But also, don't that just be your first reaction? Let me invite you into a second and better reaction. And that is to either resist the devil and he will flee from you, James says, or flee from sin. Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. James says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And you've got to figure out in that moment, once you either flee or resist, you've got to ask the question, why is this sin appealing to me? What am I trying to get out of this sin that God hasn't or I don't think God has provided already? This is how we can be tempted and yet at the same time be led by the Spirit. We fight and we flee. We resist and we retreat. And being led by the Spirit, friends, is going to provoke your enemy. You know that, right? Like, I'll just say this. If you haven't been uh, in a season of temptation or you haven't sensed a spiritual attack in a while, I'm going to say you need to probably figure out where you've gone astray. And that may seem counterintuitive, because if we're astray already, the the devil doesn't need to tempt us. If we're off the trail, if we're out of the fight, there's really no temptation to be made. He's already got us out of the fight, and he's on to somebody else. But if we're in the fight, there's going to be temptation, because he's going to make it, he's going to whisper lies to us, he's going to make it difficult for us, and we're going to have to fight to push back the darkness in our own heart, much less in the world. So it's a both and that we would be led by the Spirit. If we're led, we will provoke our enemy to all of a sudden, it's like the eye in Lord of the Rings. Some of y'all literature people are mad at me because I don't know its name. I don't know its name. But all of a sudden it sees you like Frodo. Only three of you know it and you're laughing at me. That's fine. It's only three of you and I don't care. But it's on you and that's what happens when all of a sudden you start being led by the Spirit. The enemy wakes up and goes, oh, no, no, no. We were fine when you were asleep. Now that you're awake, I'm coming after you. Be prepared, friends. Be led by the Spirit and expect temptation by the devil. It will happen both hand in hand. Some of my greatest um, joys in life are seeing people like get to the cusp of a new relationship with the Lord. And it's like Jesus in the series of Chosen when Nicodemus is around the corner. And Jesus looks and he just speaks out loud and he goes, Nicodemus, you were so close. And my, some of my greatest tragedies are seeing people walk away from Jesus just in that moment because they're too busy or it doesn't make sense or it's too hard, led by the Spirit, tempted by the devil. And I don't want to sound too charismatic here, but I'm going to lean into that for just a second. But like what God has for you is usually on the other side of darkness. You, like the greatest thing that God wants for you is usually right on the other side of whatever's tempting you, whatever's standing against you. And the only one way that we're going to break through is usually not to like exert our will because that's not going to work, but to be in a desolate place like that. Let him work for you. Let the spirit do what he's promised to do. You might think to yourself, well, what has the spirit promised to do? So glad you asked. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. We're not alone in feeling tempted. We're not alone in feeling suffering. We're not alone in being tempted to run after after lesser things. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. So to keep me from becoming conceited, do you see his sin? 
pride, arrogance. The one who was having a ministry that was literally blowing up worldwide for Paul. Yeah, you bet he would be conceited. You would bet he'd become a little bit prideful. That like, like he walks down the city and people just want to like grab his handkerchief and get healed. Like that's a real thing. And like that's a, a crazy thing when you start thinking about Paul's ministry, about how popular and how renowned he would have become. Was well, no wonder his temptation would have been pride and to be conceited. So to keep me from that, to keep me from that in my soul, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations God had shown him, shown Paul, a thorn was given me in the flesh. It was a messenger, Satan, and it was given. Notice the language. It was a gift to Paul to harass him, to keep me from becoming conceited, he reminds everyone. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How will you emerge from this weakness will be determined by how you enter into it. And I'll say this, like, Lenten fasts aren't magical. Confession cloths aren't magical. Fasting from social media isn't going to fix everything, right? But if you want to follow Jesus in these ways, if you truly will take on this kind of spirituality where you boast in weaknesses and you're content with illness and insult and persecution and calamities and weakness, so that God's strength can be made evident in you? And what kind of a person does that forge? What kind of a culture does that create? What kind of a light does that shine in the darkness? And so as we move forward, you may choose to live a comfortable life, to not enter into a season of discipline, season of suffering, season of loss, it's fine. I just, I just, I want to encourage you though, it's not the best. It's why Lent is so important. It's why it's, it's really good for us to practice as a church every year because on the other side of denying ourselves, we will find Jesus to be greater than any comfort. See, that's what he gets tempted in, in all of this, right? And and, and, and his whole thing, he starts to get tempted by the devil, and the devil starts to tempt him by using bread, right, and authority, and glory, and kingdoms. And Jesus denies all of that because it's not about bread and authority and kingdoms. It's about being autonomous. It's about living your own life, doing whatever you want and doing it now. Jesus denies that in himself, modeling that out for us and inviting us into that desolate place. So as we end and as we move into Lent, we're going to put before you kind of a survey of spiritual disciplines. And the first two that are on the Lent guide, don't leave here without one, uh, the first two that are on the Lent guide are solitude and silence. 
You can't go into the wilderness without ultimately knowing you're walking into being alone with the Lord and being quiet before the Lord. So I just want to kind of give you a little bit of a primer and a survey on those two things as we think about going into the wilderness, because as we think about forming our souls into the kind of people that willingly choose hard but good rhythms, what will be emphasized in us is that spiritual practices along the way will forge a soul that is ready to follow Jesus, even through fire, even through fight, even as the world literally goes to hell. Solitude and silence are two sisters are of forging our identity and rooting out our idols. And I'll say this, when we get to solitude and when we get to silence, we'll have to fight to get there. We're going to have to fight to get alone and quiet. I don't know what your house is like, but alone and quiet aren't exactly normal for me. Right? When the kids are home, the alone and quiet just is not a thing. But you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to get up early. You're going to have to stay up late. You're going to have to do something to quiet out the noise and simply be alone with your God. All right, so what is solitude? Well, um, Richard Foster, who has written a book called The Celebration of Discipline, highly recommend. If you want to do like some real spiritual discipline work over uh, these next 30-something days, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Uh, the Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard are great places to start, and they will get your head spinning in a different direction, in a good direction. But solitude, he says, is an, inter, an inner attentiveness to God which can be maintained even in the midst of crowds. Dallas Willard would then say that, that solitude is the most foundational discipline or practice that we can have um, so that we can truly hear God's voice. I like this uh, quote from Adele Calhoun. Cassie bought a book called Spiritual Disciplines Handbook that I have found fascinating. It's got like 200-something disciplines in it. And he, she says this about solitude. It's going to come up on your screen. Solitude is a formative place because it gives God's spirit time and space to do deep work. When no one else is there to watch, judge, and interpret what we say, the Spirit often brings us face-to-face -face with hidden motives and compulsions. We need solitude if we intend to unmask the false self and its important-looking image. Solitude is a time, especially when you start giving the context of, of ministry exploding, of, of like all that temptation that's in the heart of all of us, of being accepted and being... Um, admired and being respected, all those things at the heart, the things that Jesus were tempted at. And just to be alone and be desolate with him, we're reminded that God accepts us in our worst times. We need solitude. But not just any kind of solitude. A solitude, we would also practice silence. Silence and solitude, again, inseparable. And silence is where we cultivate that inner attentiveness with, uh, by stilling our tongues and the voices of others. When we're silenced, did you know, so James 3 talks about the tongue. Um, and he talks about like basically taming the tongue in a way uh, that, that doesn't speak deceit or curses um, outside of the way God wants us to speak those things. And in so doing, what he reminds us of is that it's with our tongue that we try to justify ourselves. 
It's with our tongue that we, we do our, our, our greatest manipulation is with our mouth. Like go ask a teenager this week about some way that they messed up or go ask my young son this week about some way that he sinned and there's going to be a story involved, right? It's not it's gonna, just going to be a, yep, I messed up. It's going to be a, well, I got to tell you. And there's this whole long story about manipulation and self-justification before they get to it. And so, again, it's kind of did that little thing. Right? Our mouths are the ways that we justify and manipulate others, justify ourselves and manipulate others. When we are silent before God, it is a beautiful discipline to help us remember he is our justifier. and He's not out to manipulate us. And we can't manipulate him. But not only is silence kind of with ourselves, but silence and solitude paired together is just turning off all the noise. Turning off the background noise to your life, the whatever sound, I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes the soundtrack is just the crazy music in my life. And it's just constant chase music wherever I go. Going away and just being alone with the Lord, rem- helping him remind you of whose you are in him, silences all that. So get away from, from podcasts that aren't spiritual. Get away from spiritual, uh, excuse me, from social media. It's definitely not spiritual media. From social media, things like that that are waging war against you and just filling your, your soul with all sorts of voices. This is the season. Follow him in these ways. And so, look, here's the deal, right? We're going to do communion in a minute. I can explain this to you, that Lent is awesome. I love it. I can, I can throw you a quote. Ooh, look at that quote. That was pretty good. I had another quote that I cut from John Piper. Ooh, who doesn't want to hear from John Piper? Apparently not us today. I had, I had other things. Like, you can hear about Jesus' rhythms, about, about, like, intentionally going into the wilderness. I can tell you how God fortifies his people in this desolate place and you may still excuse yourself. And I'm just going to say, why? Why? Of course, it's pre- because, yes, we prefer self-independence and autonomy. But it's also because we prefer vegetables over, or we prefer dessert over vegetables. I messed that one up. We prefer de- dessert over vegetables. Uh, I don't know about you, but like that's one of the things that I'm finding when I walk into my pantry because I'm trying to fast from all the things, which I always overdo it and then change my mind like halfway through. I'm like, this is a bad idea. But nonetheless, I try to fast from all the things, and I go into my pantry, and I look at all the things that I'm not allowed to eat anymore, and I go, we eat trash. This is what we do. That We eat trash. We eat sugar and chocolate and trash, and it's not good for you, and I'm trying not to eat those things, and this is what we do as a family. But you know what? When I walk into that pantry during Lent, I'm reminded that this is my spiritual diet too. I would much rather hear God whisper like tenderly to me, and we need that, than to do the hard work to hear him speak to me. I just want both. It's the old saying from, from Crowder, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And Lent is a season of all to die so that we may live pray for us. Let's bring our kids back in and we'll celebrate communion together. Our Father, would you help us prefer vegetables over dessert? When we would eat those things, we would start to realize there's a lot of um, not just valuable content in in that diet, but also 
just enough to sustain us and to give us everything that we need. And so plead with us by your spirit. Plead with us by your spirit in this moment. As we prepare, as we get our kids, as we do communion, plead with us in this moment. Counsel, convict, comfort. Show us where we need to repent. We need to make another visit to the confession cloth. Let's do it. Show us where we've depended on being liked publicly. Show us where we have depended upon other people's voices and other people's words that have maybe helped shape our identity in ways that just aren't healthy or good. Help us identify where we have relied on achievement and success for our worth and value and help us remember, Lord, that our worth and value is found in the success that your son Jesus had on the cross on our behalf. Help us remember how much you care for us, how much you have pursued sinners Bring us near, holy God. Purge away all the sin that so easily entangles us. And help us return with our whole hearts. In Christ's name do I pray, amen.